There we go. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel DeBonna. And I'm David. And uh, with us today is a very special guest, Seth. Welcome, Seth. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that I was able to join you all. Absolutely. Uh, Seth is a friend of mine from here in Tuscaloosa. Uh, about a year ago, I did Scary Movie Trivia um, at the Houndstooth, and Seth absolutely dominated so um i've been i've been chomping at the bit to have him come join us so well, it's the best <laughs> trivia in town it's really good stuff not yeah true. i um yeah tuscaloosa is not that far relatively speaking from miami I, I was i was seeing daniel's uh posts like you know his his hints for for all the stuff that was going on and trivia. I'm like man i should really just drive up for you know spend a week and, and do this, especially horror trivia. So, um, so that's fantastic. I'm glad that, that you guys made this connection there. Um, so Seth, one of the things that we ask all our guests on here is where your love affair with horror started. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I'm a 35 year old white guy. So, you know, early nineties, <laughs> my parents were letting the television doing the parenting, you know? Yes. Yes. Weekly trips <laughs> great, to, great time to be alive. Right, you know, weekly <laughs> trips to uh, the movie gallery or blockbuster or whichever, you know, VHS sort of spit in place we went and yeah, they didn't care what I picked, you know, the more gruesome the cover, the better, you know, they, they, Whatever oh, they yeah. pick off the shelf, they let me watch. There's no biggie. Yeah. It always uh, comes did, down to that VHS box art, man. Absolutely. <laughs> the, and and I, I think that uh, had it not been for good box art, we would not have seen some of the worst movies ever oh, made. Yeah. <laughs> Tur turns out the box art is like the cheapest part of a production. So <laughs> you can really make it look great. Uh, I, Nightmare on Elm Street's in particular grabbed my attention. Best box art. Mm, yeah. 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 Absolutely. I, I remember being so scared by the um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 box art. Um, is it part three where 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 you see Eddie's uh, Freddie's um, you know gloved hand coming out over over the street, not over the bed, it's right? Like but flying through the sky, kind yeah, of, flying yeah. through the sky, and then his eyeball is like really pronounced. Yeah, it was no really, yeah. it's yeah. very odd. I th I think it's part three. I th I think it's Dream, Dream Warriors. Warriors. Yeah. I think it's Dream Warriors, and not Dream Child. But uh, but I could be wrong there because it's been a while since I've looked at those old box arts. Um, so is is there is there one in particular where you were like, man, yeah, that's that's the one. This is the one that turned me. Oh, uh, well, I don't know, man. I couldn't tell you the first horror movie I watched. I remember uh, 
Hellraiser was one mm. that my mom didn't was one of the few ones my mom didn't want to get a hold of, uh, probably because of all the uh, lurid sexiness of uh, <laughs> Uncle Frank and uh, <laughs> that woman. And, but when I, I was probably had to got to like ten before I was able to talk her into getting that one. So uh, yeah, that that was probably a big benchmark and that, one of my favorites. I mean, you know, I, I like them all. And I'm I'm due for a yeah. solid like Hellraiser marathon binge, like rewatch all the Hellraisers. It's been a while for me. Oh, the... they drop off quick, buddy. <laughs> yes, they, yes, they do. Um, yeah, I, I was gonna say I did I did a binge of Hellraiser, um, not that long ago. I want to say it was about a year or two ago. And Hellraiser one is, uh, just Chef's kiss. Yes. Hellra- Hellraiser two, almost just as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hellraiser three is weird. It turns into it's weird for Hellraiser because well, it's it's almost like like a formulaic '90s slasher. It's Hellraiser three is one of those obvious rescripts. This was a script mm-hmm. that was being shopped around that nobody could sell, and then they thought, time for another Hellraiser movie. Don't want to make a new script uh, with Clive Barker, I guess, or whoever was done done writing those uh so they just had this story about a nightclub owner who runs afoul of some demonic presence they're like okay we'll just we'll we'll slap pinhead on the box and we're good to go uh my my buddy andrew thanks for joining us here andrew says nightmare on elm street one haunted me for months after i watched it at seven years old well it's probably because you watched it at seven years old seven i'll do that but also I think when I saw it at about 12 or 13, it haunted me too. So, uh, so that's, yeah, that's, that's about par for the course there. I know I had Heather Langenkamp kicking around my dreams for a few years. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I, I think I stopped after part four. I did like part four, uh, cause you got a lot of that you know, background on, uh, on the box and, and on, um, on on uh, you know Pinhead himself, but yeah, it drops off so quickly. Yeah. I, I could I couldn't bring myself to very, watch any very any continental of those. shelf at a certain point. Yeah. So, but we're here today. Um, oh, we got another one from Andrew. <laughs> he says Specs rented it to me and my brother. At like, well, it was uh, well, it's seven. Uh, w- would have been the eighties for you. Yeah, that's the eighties there for you, Andrew. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we we brought on Seth today because we are talking the Evil Dead. Uh, this movie is due to turn 40 years old on, I believe it's October 15th of mm-hmm. this year is the 40th anniversary of this movie. So this is one that Dave has been wanting to do for a while. He has been ready to do the evil dead. Um, and this just seemed like the perfect time to do it. So, uh, we're going to start off with just a, you know, an overview of the movie. Uh, this movie has re- reached a, a level of cult status. That's not seen outside of a lot of movies. This is, this has got a following like very few other low budget films uh, from 40 years ago, or I mean, to this day, really. And mm-hmm. so as you kind of give us your overview, uh, and I want to throw it to Dave first, since this is your pick, how do you feel the movie holds up too? So um, I, I think, I think you have to take the movie as, um, as it holds up against itself as a film the way it holds up against the the rest of the series, and and the way it holds up against um, horror as as a genre now, forty years later, 
against itself, I mean, it's it's aged spectacularly. I think um, you know, the the effects still make you wince. Um, you know, you, you you see the you know the, I, I always go to, to to the same special effects shot. You know, the the pencil and the ankle. It mm. just it just makes me go oh, every time I see it. And um, and so I, I think that against itself, it's aged quite well. Uh, against the series, I think the series is one of those where um, it went defining itself as as it went along. Um, you can definitely see Raimi finding his voice in Evil Dead Two, um, where where you know he was he was I think maybe unsure exactly where he wanted to take Evil Dead with this first movie. Um, he took what he learned from making it and made a better movie. It kind of reminds me of um, like Mad Max and the Road Warrior. You know, uh, in in every way, the Road Warrior improves upon the first one. It doesn't necessarily make it a better film. It's just the more perfect version of something that was maybe already perfect, there right? Um, and then uh, against horror as as a genre, I think there's a lot of really amazing, um, like genre bending things that go back to this movie. Uh, maybe you can draw that line a little further back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but um, so much innovation, I think here, so much um, progressive filmmaking that goes on here. And uh, I mean, really incredible budget management that goes on in this movie. Um, so I, I think it holds up quite well um if i were to introduce someone to the franchise i don't think this would be the one that i would choose i think i would still go with evil dead 2 just because you get such a nice clean little wrap-up you know a nice little summary of this movie in evil dead 2 and of course it's much more polished there's a bigger budget but that said I would have no qualms showing a real true horror fan this movie 40 years later and saying, Hey, let me learn you some knowledge here. This, this is, this is where so much of it starts. I, I personally love this movie. I've seen this movie um, well over 10 times. I was telling Daniel before we started recording that I, I usually uh, like to watch movies just before we do this like a day before maybe the day of and i didn't get a chance to do that with this i saw maybe 20 minutes of it last night and i was just so absolutely tired from this week that i i, I passed out right around the time that uh that that cheryl turns and um i can still recall every frame of this movie. <laughs> um and and it, in fact i ended up watching army of darkness with my son today um and and he 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 loved it. He's giving me a thumbs up right now. Um, so, um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> he's he's talking to me about it now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it, it's definitely one of these things where I I love this movie. It holds up very well, I think. And and I think even for young fans of horror, like my students, you know, my high school students, my college students, when I throw out um, movie references, I still get guys that are like, yes, Evil Dead. I love that movie. And, and I think that that tells you something. 
All right, so Seth, what do you, like uh, overall, kind of how do you feel about the movie in general and how it holds up? Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's a, a seminal piece, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, it's got, uh, it's, it's reputation is well-deserved for being sort of uh, uh, an excellent example of what can be achieved, you know, with the right sort of creative vision and the right director. Uh, that being said, I did go back. I watched it on Sunday, then I watched it on Monday, then I watched most of it last night. I've watched it a couple times, and um, you know, it's rough around the edges in a lot of ways. You know, for every really good moment, there's sort of a little bit moment that sort of pulls me out of it a little bit, you know, and that's probably because I am so used to watching Evil Dead too. Um, but you know, you gotta love it for all of its warts, it is really good really entertaining movie you know so funny story about this movie i fired this up last night i'm like all right here we go let's watch evil dead i've seen it before you know we'll do this we'll make our notes we'll get ready for the show and i'm watching it and i was like man it's been longer than i thought since i've seen this like i don't remember this part and i don't remember that part and i thought this happened differently and then things that I just explicitly did not remember at all started happening. And I came to the realization last night, I'd never seen Evil Dead before last night. Really? I've seen Evil Dead too. Ah. I did not realize. I have spent, and I can explicitly remember when I thought I saw it. It was my freshman year of college. So 20 years ago, I thought I watched Evil Dead. And it turns out what I watched was, so then what I, so I was like, pause it, start Googling. I was like, oh my God, I've seen Evil Dead too. So this was actually my first time watching the Evil Dead and I didn't realize it. Uh, so I watched it last night. I watched most of it again today because I was like, I need to take a lot of this back in because mm -hmm. I was, I was kind of, you know, like I said, I was half, I was, I was half taking notes and, and half watching and stuff going on. And it's just like, I need to see this again. And um, I, I absolutely agree with Seth. You know, there it's, it, it is definitely rough around the edges at parts. And for, you know, reasons that we're going to get to with budgeting and things like that, a lot of it makes sense. But man, I was blown away at how much I really liked this movie because when it first started, like, God, that first scene with them in the car and Bruce Campbell's stupid ass hair, like right <laughs> away, I was like, hmm, that doesn't look like I remember. And then it's just like, Little things like that. And I was just like, this is so weird. But and he, up he seems scrawnier yes, and, yeah. and, and so much. And, and it's because he's like almost 10 years younger. Yes. And so I uh, so I'm I'm watching this and and uh, and like I said, once I realized I hadn't seen it. And so I was kind of taking it all in. There were there were things that 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 blew me away. There were, there were some really great shocking things. There was some great technical stuff. Um, then, so then when I finished it up today, I was looking through the show notes and I was, I was doing some Googling and reading and there's, there's a story behind this movie in, oh, yeah. in the, the process of it getting made. That's as interesting as the movie itself. And so not only did I really enjoy the movie and like I said, like I said, for me watching it, so I can't really talk about how it holds up. I can just say that 40 years after it came out, watching it for the first time as an as a horror fan, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Like it, it has aged well enough that 40 years later, seeing it for the first time, I really enjoyed it. Um, and like I said, as, as I kept, as I kept reading different stuff, I was like, man, there, there's, there's a, like the history to this. I can understand 
why so many people have flocked to this and it's received the cult status it has because this movie is absolutely a master class in what sticking to your guns and making the movie you want to make, you know, come hell or high water can do. And so I can absolutely fully understand the cult status. Now, whereas before it's just like, yeah, people love it. Right. It's groovy and, you know, and all that. But it's because I was, I was thinking about <laughs> evil dead too. And so now that I've experienced this, I've seen evil dead too. I've seen army of darkness. Those I'm sure of. Um, and I've, I've, I've seen. Well, I, I'd hope you'd know if you'd yes. seen army of darkness. Yeah. I mean, that's um, so drastically different in, in and tone and feel. And, and I've, I've watched, everything. I've caught clips of Ash versus the undead and some of these things that have spun off from it. And now I understand the roots of it way better than I ever did because you know, I always, yeah, Evil Dead 2 is cool, right? People like it. But now that I've seen this one, I understand the scope of why people have flocked to this movie in the way they have. And I'm, I was impressed. You, you know, Debone, I bet that there's a lot of people in that boat who uh, either saw Evil Dead uh, a long time before they saw Evil Dead 2 or only ever saw Evil Dead 2 because they follow so many of the same beats throughout the movie. I bet it's yeah. really easy for people to sort of uh, get their memories of Evil Dead sort of overwritten, saved over yeah. by Evil mm -hmm. Dead 2. Yeah, and like as I was reading up on Evil Dead 2, I was like, okay, I can see now why I thought I'd seen this. Because like, yeah, the beginning and, and some of that stuff follows the same, you know, the same path to an extent. Well, well it's, it, it's never been explicitly addressed. Um, I know that there's uh, there's a belief that Evil Dead 2 is a reboot of Evil Dead. Um, and I subscribe to the theory that the first 11 minutes of Evil Dead 2 is a recap of Evil Dead 1. It's essentially a previously on. Yeah, it's a previously on because um, Raimi didn't have the rights to Evil Dead 1. So he couldn't use any of that footage in in the film which if you watch army of darkness uh he does he uses some of the uh some of the evil dead 2 footage in there uh you know to to, to recap what what had happened previously so uh you know they, they kind of condense it they they take out the extraneous characters you don't really need anyone other than you know ash ash and linda, ash and linda. you know it's it's ultimately his story. I mean, Cheryl is one of the greatest, oh uh, you know, uh, horror monsters. I I think of 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 horror cinema, and um, you don't really need her to tell that story. Ultimately, if you want to like just synthesize this to to its like brass tacks, you know, and um, and that's what you get, you know, and and the moment where Ash slams against that tree, you know, after being pushed by. Uh, by you know the the Kandarian spirit, uh, that's where Evil Dead Two truly begins. That's where the new stuff is. Uh, so so I think in a lot of ways, everyone has gotten the you know the 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 roots of Evil Dead, even if they haven't experienced it in the original way. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like reading those old Cliff Notes. There we go. You know, how many of us actually read The Great Gatsby? <laughs> I, think, I think you're exactly right. It's a previously on. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That's that. That's the the best way to uh, to describe it. I think um, what you get throughout the entire series, 
be it Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, or Ash versus the Evil Dead, is the Deadites. And their their behavior is so um, cemented in this first movie. Uh, I I think that that's one of the things that Raimi knew right from the get-go. I know what I want to do with this villain because it's um, it's not 100% possession and it's not really 100% zombie. It's uh, it's something new. You can only name it a deadite. You know, when 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 someone says zombie, I don't think of a deadite. And when someone says possessed, I don't think of a deadite. A deadite's a deadite. You know. Um, so they're 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 incredibly unique. Um, so uh, I guess the first question is, how do they contribute to the the horror element, but also the humor element that we see here in the Evil Dead, and 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 what is it that makes them uniquely terrifying, but also uniquely humorous? Uh, Seth, you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, the, uh, well, just. Personally, I've always just in the first movie, I've never thought of calling them deadites. You know, when you say deadite, it sort of only goes to Army of Darkness with me, where it, you know, mm -hmm. it's sort of this catch-all term for all these, you know, skeletons and ribbly forces that existed in that one. Uh -huh. You know, but uh, I always just thought of them as the possessed, you know. But, I mean, you're kind of right. They are sort of their own thing. And I think sort of the 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 key element of what makes them so effective, like the kernel of why they're so scary is because they're us, you know, mm. it, you know, there's three of us in this, in this uh, video screen right now, any one of us could get our eyes glassed over and become, <laughs> you know, possessed by a Kandarian demon, you know, and, you know, not only is it us, it could be me, but also it's your girlfriend, it's your sister, it's 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 somebody that you don't want to harm, but at the same time, you're, you know, they've got super strength and they're killing everybody in the room, you know? So <laughs> it, it, it's something that you've got to deal with, you know? Um, I think we could all take a lesson from Scotty, who was the most effective uh, ass kicker in the first 30 minutes of this movie. You know? Absolutely he was. Yeah. <laughs> While Ash was screaming into the corner waiting to go on the hero's journey, Scotty's giving Cheryl the big boot down the staircase, which is <laughs> like my favorite kick in cinema. But, um, you know, that, I mean, that's it. Like, they, you don't want to be one. You don't want your friends or your loved ones to be one. And you damn sure don't want to be in the room with one. You know, there's I no think, way to handle it. Yeah, I, I, I think when you when you look at the Deadite, what's what's interesting about it is the fact that, like you said, it's not all zombie. It's not all demon like there. There are certain there are certain things that you put into those those loops in a Venn diagram. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you once you got a zombie. Yeah. OK, you got some that are fast, some that are slow. But for the most part, zombies a zombie. Right. Um, a demon. They're usually just they're they're gonna cuss. They're gonna do the demon type stuff. What's fascinating about the Deadite is that each one had a unique personality. That's what gets me when it comes to this movie. Like you look at Scotty, Cheryl, Linda, and Cher it was something like Cheryl. Shows a Sherry, Shelly, Shelly, Shelly. Yeah, like you you look at the four of them, and when they show up. Once they're possessed or, or you know, or whatever it is that happens to them, 
they all have this extremely unique personality and uh and they don't even look the same i love that uh that linda's linda's was so uh understated it, it really just looked like a, a five-year-old had given their mom a makeover right and it was just it was just the makeup but then that that laugh and just just the 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 childlike the the sitting crisscross applesauce and just and laughing and taunting and then you've got cheryl down in the basement just being the comedian of the group, just absolutely just dragging Ash every chance she's given the opportunity to <laughs> all the while, you know, which it, which, to, which it makes sense for his sister to be the one to yes, do this. Exactly. So there are there, there are, and it also, it also would make, it also makes sense for Linda to just look like she just has on a lot of makeup, right? Cause that's his girlfriend. So each one was presenting itself in a way that was like a, like a, a funhouse mirror version of how Ash would see them. I agree with that 100% because Linda was stupid and annoying when she was Linda, and she was stupid and annoying when she was a kid. <laughs> and so... Yeah, we, we know why Ash was with Linda. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so you get these... So you get these... You get these weird... You know, and like I said, this isn't even I saw it in 81 and I've never seen I've never seen um, enemies, zombies like this. This is 2021. I'm like, these are so freaking weird and just mm -hmm. insane. Um, and so, it, you know, they're they're brutal in, in what they do. So the 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 horrifying element of them is they're just going to rip you to pieces with their bare hands. That's what they want to do. But then the comedic aspect of it is. The fact that they all take pleasure in torturing Ash, uh, not just and not just physically, like they can see that this is a man coming apart at the seams, and the Kandarian demon that has spawned all of this is getting as many jollies out of watching every shred of Ash's sanity slowly slip away as the as they are at the concept of you know physically tearing him apart it they they become a creature that looks to break you down in every sense of the word at least to ash the you know the others they would they would turn kind of quickly granted shelly possibly got the worst of it um you know in the woods that was brutal and i don't even have a vagina but if i did i would assume catching a root to it would be oh, bad yeah cheryl oh cheryl yeah excuse me cheryl yeah i, I was like mm, i yeah, don't know no, about cheryl. that cheryl you know um forest yeah. rape that's uh so well just it, for our casual listener right it's a uh, it's uh the trip is five people it's uh scotty and scotty's girlfriend cheryl and uh ash williams uh and ash's sister no wait, wait yeah, Ash's sister is Cheryl. Scotty's yep. girlfriend is Shelly. Shelly. And Linda is Ash's girlfriend. Yes. And so so they all, but like once they've all turned and Ash is the only one left, or even when Scotty's, you know, like maybe dead, maybe not, we're not mm -hmm. sure for a little while, there's there, there's there's a great amount of pleasure in in ripping Ash apart mentally and watching him break down. And that is the the comedy that went into that is what made them horrifying. It was, it was such this, it was such an amazing blend of those things that I, I that I think that this is, this is a very, very unique uh, horror movie villain uh, enemy, whatever you want to call it. I, I think that um, 
part part of uh to, to go back to what Seth is saying part part of what makes them so scary is that they are us at some of the most um inconvenient moments like right as the kill is about to happen that's when the transformation is going to take place and boom they're back and you see Linda's eyes ash what are you doing you know and it's like you know your head's removed, Linda. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. you know, um, and and, and I'm all right. Now. I'm all right now. <laughs> so good, it's so good. No, I'm 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 all better too. Open the basement. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, and, and 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 through that like sense of of humor, like you you can tell why it is that this group wants to hang out when they're driving over there. They seem to be having a good time. When uh, when they get there, Cheryl seems a little high strung, granted, you know, um, and maybe that's why she's tagging along. Maybe that's why she's the fifth wheel. You know, Ash wants her to get out of her her funk, whatever it is that she's in and 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 be there and, you know, have have a good time. And um, but I, I, I definitely think that that's that's what makes them so so funny is that they're they're tapping into this relationship that they've had for so long you know linda knows that she can appeal to ash's let's say heart right and um and 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 that he's going to want to do something and and that is something that they developed throughout the series is that ultimately even though ash is you know kind of a selfish prick and uh and he's kind of a fuck up he's our selfish prick and, and and he's and he's our fuck up and he is going to try to do the right thing ultimately so when she looks at him with these baby doll eyes and she's like but ash right he's he's going to crumble and he's 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 going to to not be able to to do the right thing you know uh that to me that's what's scariest if i was looking at at, at my wife or, or or at my sister and they were begging me not to kill them after i had just seen them tear someone apart i don't know that i could either you know that to me that's that's terrifying and then to see the you know the the peanut gallery laughing about it in the background yes. you know that's almost just as terrifying but also i mean Let's face it, they're fucking funny. <laughs> well, uh, you, you mentioned it looked like they were having a, a good, you know, looked like they were having a good time. One of the things I learned while uh, reading up on this movie was that uh, they were high a, a, a decent <laughs> amount of the time. Like there, there was there was real weed <laughs> smoked while making this movie, and they were filmed while actually high. Bruce Campbell has said that that the, over the course of this, that there was a good amount of weed smoked while they were making this movie and partly just to keep them warm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have it from a reliable industry insider that Bruce Campbell is still high to this day. <laughs> the, the, the guy smokes a lot of weed. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, I think I, th there, there's, there's a lot to be said about the deadites and the way that, like I said, it was just looking at the three of us, how they strike each one of us uh, differently uh, that that concept of it just being one of us wasn't even necessarily something that I thought of. So I, I think that, that that all of these things we keep tracing these these are the reasons that they're so unique. So speaking so speaking of unique, um, 
so this movie is set in a cabin in the woods, uh, which has become such a trope that there is a movie now called Cabin in the Woods. Um, so, and it didn't necessarily invent invent the concept of isolation horror, but it definitely took it to a level um, in '81 that had possibly not been seen. And with uh, with the budget of this movie being what it was, Sam Raimi very much took what he had in this setting and used every inch of it. So when we're looking at the cabin and the rooms and the basement and the surrounding woods and the things like that, what is it about the setting? How do you feel about Raimi's use of what he had to make this movie stand out and be so scary, Dave? Um, Like you said, I mean, the movie didn't invent, you know, uh, isolation horror. Um, in fact, I don't know that it can get any better than The Shining just the year before. But this idea of being alone in the woods, right, in this cabin in the woods, and it's just you and, and you're not even isolated. It's you and your friends. Right. Um, that, I think, may start here. I don't know that I can think of a an earlier cabin in the woods film. Um, I think it's it's partly a uh like like a budgetary thing you know it's like okay well you know what we managed to raise three hundred and fifty thousand dollars which is like fucking pennies for for a movie right even back in in 1980 so so we've got three hundred and fifty thousand dollars how can we make this horror movie for as little money as possible and it's to actually go to a cabin and film there um and you you mentioned earlier that some some of the the stories about making this movie are as interesting as the movie themselves. So like, you know, they, they had one guy who knew uh, like woodworking. So he was immediately set designer, you know? So they, they got to this cabin and they were like, all right, dude, get the fuck to work. You know, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it kind of the same way that like Bruce Campbell was hired. You know, he was the only guy who was going to be able to stay around for the entire production shoot. So I was like, Hey, you're Ash. You know, and and there it is. Um, but I think that there's there's such effective use of of space where um, Raimi really knows how claustrophobia works, and he knows how fear of large spaces works, because when we're out in the woods, we don't get afraid until it's nighttime. And until that fog settles, because even though we're seeing, you know, that that really awesome camera work with 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 the camera, you know, gliding in and out very early on, as as, as early as the car driving up to this house. It's the first, first shot of the movie is the POV demon. Camera. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not scary. I don't think unsettling, weird, but not necessarily scary. Right. It's not until Cheryl goes out into the woods after the uh they've played the the tape of the reading right um which uh he's he's unnamed in this one but i love that his name is dr nobi <laughs> um uh, they they played that tape and she goes out there it's absolutely terrifying uh, and us. yes how fucking scary yes. is that you know and anyone who has ever been camping knows that fear of leaving your tent and you're, I mean, what fucking protection does your tent offer? 
none, right? Whatever wants to get you will get you if you're in your tent. But the moment you unzip your tent, the moment you step outside, you suddenly feel vulnerable. And Raimi understands how to, how to photograph this and make you sense this. And then on the flip side, when we're in the cabin, he knows exactly how to show us the cabin so that our claustrophobia is starting to take over. These off-kilter shots, he uses some Dutch angles every now and then, where we're getting this like feeling of unease because nothing is straight, nothing's square. We're not looking at right angles anymore. Everything is just off, right? And, and we, we see that a lot when we're inside of the cabin particularly after the shit hits the fan. And, and so I, I think uh, when you want to talk about like effective use of space and effective use of the set, like even something as simple as the swing when they first arrived to the house, you know, just, yeah, just slowly, like there's no wind and yet here's this swing coming in and out and banging against the wall. And then it stops the moment they get there. It's like, yes, come in. There's nothing to fear here. You know, that, that, no, fuck you, man. I'm getting out of here. You know, I, I, I think, um, I think it's so effective. And then that, that masterful shot, and it's so simple, but I, I think, I think it really is masterful. As soon as Ash gets into the basement, that, that one, like 360 yes. pan shot where it's like, okay, this is what Ash sees. This is the same thing I would do. If I went down there, I would look one, you know, in one direction and I would scan all the way over and be like, okay, what's down here. Where's Scott? Why has he not come back up yet? And it's, it's just such an effective use of the camera. His camera work in this is, is so fantastic. It's so great. And, and he really knows what to do with what setting. Seth? I mean, you're hit it on the head, man, you know, because, you know, what's outside the cabin? Why, the unknown, you know? Like, mm -hmm. people are scared of the unknown, you know? If you're in the woods alone at night, you know, it's impossible not to feel some tinge of fear unless you're a regular, you know, Davy Crockett or whatever, like, because <laughs> you, you can't see what's out there. You hear all kinds of shit everywhere around you rustling and breaking, even if it's not really there, you're going to imagine it's there, you know, so the woods are scary in the dark because of the unknown. It's like what's underneath the surface of the water, you know, what's out there in the darkness, it's unknown. And uh, it's scary, you know, in the cabin because we sure as hell know what's in there, and that's scary too, you know. It's just it's it's an effective place to put five people together and sort of a you know nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide. <laughs> I think that uh, when you when you look at the setting of this, there were some really uh, you were talking about the claustrophobic element of it. There are some really great shots that remind you of just how small this space where all of this is happening is there's there's scenes where you know it's like uh, it's pov from a demon and it's looking out one window and then it just makes a real short shift and you realize you're, you're looking into a completely different room yeah. which you know makes sense um everybody you know everybody's been to you know a house before where you can look in one window and another right next to each other and you're in two different bedrooms but the way that it's done it it very perfectly reminds you that this is a tiny space and everything that's about to go down in here, there is nowhere to run except for into the unknown, which they're constantly reminding us it's not going to let us leave. 
we're going to get you. We're going to get you. So there's, there's always, there's always that feeling, whether it be in the small cabin or the great outdoors that, that this is, this is, you know, this is a complete cover too. that this is, this is the ultimate in zone coverage. You're not getting anywhere. We've got all angles of this lockdown. And then I think when you're in the house, they do a great job of, uh, sometimes disguising how small it is with some of the shots. Like you've seen the outside, you know, it's not mm-hmm. that big, but every once in a while there's a shot that goes through multiple doorways or stuff like that. And you're like, okay, well there's some space to move around here, but it's always done in a way that, like you said, makes you uncomfortable and you get into the basement and you get that great 360 shot. And you've got just the water, just for some reason, just dripping down. I'm just pouring mm-hmm. down out of the pipes and so uh, you but then also you get into the basement and it's like all right it is small down here but there's a door over there so even you know there's there's unknown in the unknown right, right. you get into the basement which is already scary and now there's a closed off space which honestly is something that in all scary movies it always terrifies me when there's a closed door in a basement because basements are freaky anyway. I grew up without, when I grew up, my grandparents had a basement. Uh, they lived in New England. I grew up uh, close to the beach. So there, there were no basements because the water table was there. And so basements have always kind of freaked me out anyway. And the concept of going into a basement, which seems like a place you would hide stuff already. And then there being a door, like now we're going to hide stuff in the hidden space. Like your like, hills have eyes poster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to hide that down there. Yes. And it's like, this is where I keep my shotgun and my ancient Kandarian <laughs> dagger. This is all of my weapons. Uh, Looks down like here. your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> and so they, you know, they do a great job with with uh with props too when you're talking setting the clock that stops um and then oh yeah it, that's and then does such, it move such an effective little yes. i mean and all they did was just stop a clock but uh, oh, it's, it's such but, a great little special yeah, but effect stopping it over to the side is so weird until later you know when it starts spinning out of control when ash is you know having his complete and total mental break uh like all of the all of the things like that that are involved in the setting too just just how easily some stuff seems to fall apart and other stuff seems to be real heavy that all feels very realistic uh in the fact that this is old there are parts that are going to fall there are parts of this cabin that are going to break easily but also it's old so some of this furniture is going to be big and heavy and it's going to be a pain in the ass to move so there's there's a lot of things like that that they do with the setting that i think are easy to look at it and be like oh cool but I think it shows a lot of thought that went into it that necessarily if you had had a much higher budget or a much bigger space or even a sound stage where you were making these things happen, you wouldn't have had to, you know, like Sam Raimi, he, this was, this was uh, Rooter to the Tudor setting use, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this was, this was, we use every part of the buffalo. We eat every part of the pig. Like there, if it was available for him, he was going to make it an effective part of the movie. And I don't think that you can say enough about how great he did with that. And we're going to get into the budget in a little bit, but it, to be conscious of the fact that you can tell that there's that final scene, you he had that in mind and he knew this is going to be a chunk of what we have to spend. So what we've got other than that has got to stretch and the setting ends up becoming 
a invaluable part of this movie. Yeah, we can revisit that when we talk about the production, but actually that end piece was uh, a brainchild of um, uh, Rick Nicotero who worked on the special effects. Sam Raimi had something of a different sort of envisionment of that last uh, final scene. Oh. Instead of the big claymation thing, uh, he wanted to do like a um, almost like a uh, melting or deflating type thing for the, mm -hmm. the deadites on their way out. Well, there we go. This is why you should always default to your uh, your special effects artists. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and, and Nicotero is one of those guys that, you know, even even as a as, as a young buck, you know, uh, doing stuff like this and Day of the Dead. I mean, he was, you know, already so ahead of his time. Well, the yeah. reason Nicotero didn't like the deflating dead eyed idea was because he thought it would be too easy for the audience just to go while they were deflated. <laughs> and, you know, they, he just thought it would be, and he was, you know, I mean, who knows how that shot could have looked, but what he delivered was on the whole pretty good. Yeah. And, and it really set a, um, a tone for the rest of the series, I think, um, which obviously, you know, we, we can't really, um, you know, assess it, Dead by Dawn or or Army of Darkness, uh, you know, based on this one thing. Um, but Claymation ended up playing such a significant role later on in the series. And, and I think that um, a lot of that goes back to that one shot. Like it's it's such it's such an incredible shot and, and special effects is one of the things that, that we're getting into now. Hang um, on just, just a second. There was one more thing about setting. And oh yeah. Yeah. No, and, and this is just an aside again, the story of making this movie as interesting as the movie itself at one point. So they're at this cabin just out there and there are actual hunters and hound dogs and stuff around. Cause it's not like they rented a huge plot of land and had, you know, a security team keeping people away. At one point, Sam Raimi got chased by, a real bull around this that, that had like gotten loose from a nearby farm and Sam Raimi had to actually run away from a bull while filming this movie. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> uh, so uh, longtime friend of the podcast and recent guest, uh, Andy Chacon, welcome. Uh, he comes in and says, Sam Raimi and George Miller uh mad max so much with so little cinematic phenoms uh andy we actually um mentioned how how similar the evil dead and and mad max series are how how one just like you know, perfecting the craft and getting better and better each time even though i prefer road warrior to thunderdome and i prefer evil dead 2 to army of darkness uh you, you can't deny that the craft improves on into that third film uh in, in i i think it, it's almost well, just yeah. like a huge proof of concept for those directors to be like hey ah, you see hollywood <laughs> you know oh man yeah so um so we we were we were starting to get into special effects you know uh, talking about uh, greg nicotero and um, you know that that final special effects shot with the with the claymation uh, deadites. So, uh, want to remind everyone, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? I mean, that's 
that's not much money. So um, special effects artist by the name of Tom Sullivan. This is the guy who worked on the proof of concept short film that um, that this movie was basically an expansion of. Um, I think that that he pulls off uh, like a, a, a pretty special effects driven movie despite this really low budget. Um, so I, we talked a little bit about the movie as a whole, but how does the makeup, the gore, these special effects, how does it hold up now, 40 years later? Uh, Daniel, you, you want to go first on this? So just, just to get to it, th this movie ends up becoming a gore fest and in the best possible way. Oh, yeah. it, it becomes a gore fest without that element of, we've talked before how in the early 2000s, the, the shift in horror was to torture porn in, in gore fest. And it, be, it is a gore fest without that. We get on a shoestring budget, which like we, we, we keep saying it's $350,000 by comparison. And granted the, the year difference, you know, inflation, it's not quite as extreme, but it's still pretty extreme. Cabin in the woods had a budget of $30 million. Okay. So, so by comparison, we're working with 10% of the cabin in the woods budget, give or take. But um, so you end up getting some, the, the special effects and the gore in this movie range from, we, we briefly mentioned it at the beginning of the, the pencil in the ankle being this, oh. this uber hyper realistic injury and, and, and the way that it just digs in there and you can just feel it. You, you go from something like that to something like at the very end, the, the scene that we keep talking about where they kind of melt away and their faces start to peel back and, and that's, you know, that that's absurd and unique. And they they did so many different types of things. You can't put your finger on just one type of special effect, which I think is, uh, you know, is a credit to Tom Sullivan in, in what he did in, you know, keeping you guessing as to what it was going to look like the next time a deadite was created. Uh, the next time somebody was going to when Oh, my God, when Linda when he's like, so he tries to bury Linda. And two, two things about when he's trying to bury Linda. One, the rehashing of the closed eyes when you're not looking. Like, when you're closed eyes when you're looking, <laughs> eyes open when you're not gag. That shit had me in tears. Like, I was yeah. laughing so hard at that moment. Because when it happened when they were alive, it was so corny. But then when it happens when she... It's such a great callback. Yeah. It was so good. And, like, in that moment, I was like, I totally forgive how cheesy and corny that scene was because it gave me this, and this was genius. But then... <laughs> <laughs> but then she leaps at him, and he grabs the shovel, hacks off her head. The head hits. She's still laughing. And then this bloody stump, like, coughs all over his face, and he just, like, starts <laughs> crying. That shit... Like that was that that was the moment where I was like, all right. So they went ahead and leaned in on like we're supposed to laugh at this, right? I, like I, I think that's the funniest moment. Yes, of like that was the moment when when I felt like they looked and they were like, look, what we've got going here is really good, but we're having a lot of laughs while we're doing this. Like, what if we make the audience feel okay with laughing with us? That that was what I got from that scene. Mm -hmm. And then as and so then as you get back and you you keep looking at the gore and. And you've got you've got oh when he puts his thumbs in Scotty's eyes and oh, there's there yeah. there are moments that are so intensely brutal 
and then there are and, and the special effects are just crazy and then there are the chopping off the head with the shovel where it's just it's and uh where it's humorous and and so it all plays in so well into this amazing like soup that is this movie and like uh, so many little things like when uh, the projector just comes on and he's like frozen in the light of the projector yeah. but just like the blood drops on the the lens of the projector uh just causing the the image that he's standing in to slowly turn red little things like that with the special effects where it's like you do that with a couple dollars now you got now you you've you've put aside more money for the next, you know, deadite's hand that you're going to, you know, cut off or it's going to bite off himself or yeah. all of these things that 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 are just that just suck you in so hard. Like you're always guessing what's going to happen next. Uh, one of the things I found out is that whenever they're firing that shotgun with the, ex, you know, with the exception, obviously, of when it actually hits somebody. But like they, the, it sounds so realistic because they were firing live ammunition out there in the woods. <laughs> it's, like not it's like cheaper. <laughs> yes, it's cheaper to fire live ammunition. So they were they were firing live ammunition and then and then doing the cuts to where you got the scene where where something got blown off because they couldn't actually fire like a blanket these people because they didn't have them. Mm -hmm. So the this is one of those this is one of those movies where the what they did with the budget is not only impressive, but it's, it made the movie what it is for the better because they had to be good at what they did because every single dollar you spent mattered. This film took months to make because they would stop production because they would, they would just be like, all right, we don't have any more money right now. We need to go work. And they like, they were like bussing mm -hmm. tables and stuff in nearby towns to just keep this production alive. And, and, and for all of these reasons that all circulate around the budget, we end up getting this movie. Which, by the way, I, um, I just plugged these numbers into an inflation calculator. And in 1980 dollars, purchasing dollars, this comes out to $1,100,000, $160,000, which is still nothing. You can't make a movie for that these days. Um, so, I, I mean, you could barely make a movie for that back in 1980. Right. You know, um, uh, even something like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I only know because this is my favorite movie. Uh, when Steven Spielberg pitched it to Paramount for $20 million, they said, they said, well, you can't make this movie for that amount of money. Like that, that was, and, and there's not that many special effects shots in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, so uh, that's that's the sort of thing where it's like, OK, this was made at the same time as Raiders of the Lost Ark for like a fraction of the budget. And yet there are more special effects shots. It's yeah. it's it's incredible. Seth. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the it, just like the rest of the movie, the special effects uh, are can be rough around the edges. They go from being really effective to like really kind of like pulling you out of it like uh a lot of people point to the pencil to the ankle as um, sort of the best, uh, you know, one of the best special effects. I'm going to go with DeBone. I'm going to say that it's Scotty getting his eyes gouged out. Like that's mm -hmm. my MVP moment. And then, you know, 
at the the very end when the the deadites are melting which they did a really good job of like what i'm going to assume is probably like some combination of paraffin wax melting stop motion type you know frame by frame shot and some of it looks so good and then there's like a green doodad booger rolling down the front of the face <laughs> that just totally pulls you out of it it's like somebody yeah. made the decision to make this thing like literally like uh slinky down the face of yeah, yeah I, I, every time I see that, it reminds me of the old Bankin and uh, Rankin and Bass uh, Christmas specials. You know, mm-hmm. uh, 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 like the, Rudolph, Rudolph the Red Nosed oh, Reindeer, yeah. and you know, Little Drummer yeah, Boy, and stuff like that. And you know, I mean, the the special effects are uh, fine, you know, in some places, and just really kind of like slapdash in other places but i mean it's all part of the total package right you know that's why you love it is because it mm-hmm. is such a labor of love you know and we'll get to the filmmaking and talk more about that but you know it's it's it just what they went through to make it was you know pretty terrible and like what what they ended up making was really great and i mean obviously it's not like really great but everybody <laughs> loves it, you know. It's, yeah. we're, we're talking about it forty years later, you know. There was there was a scene where uh, speaking of like the claymation type, like that that stop action, the, the scene where the phonograph starts playing itself, mm-hmm. that was one of the ones that kind of took me out of it because it, it did look so Tim Burtony. Like, yeah. like it did become so stop motion where the photograph, like the needle drops and the handle spinning. And you very much get that, that Rankin and Bass feel from that scene. And that, and that's like an example of like an easy to achieve effect that I think ends up being pretty effective. I mean, it's a little corny, but you know, it's a two second shot, but you're talking about the projector, you know, well put Bruce Campbell in front of a, uh, an overhead projector drop some blood on the plate and play Dixieland rag over it. You've got yourself a scene, you know? Yeah. And then later on you've got, I'm, I'm sure what were very uh, complex, you know, sort of wax models being destroyed over the course of many hours of painstaking labor. And somehow that doesn't end up as effective as just, <laughs> you know, watching pudding come out from around Bruce Campbell's thumbs. You know? <laughs> There, there is something about claymation, though, that I think speaks to people like somewhere in their core. Um, you know, and I, I don't know if it goes back to the Rankin and Bass thing or if it goes further back to like a, like the Ray Harryhausen movies, you know, Jason, Jason and, and the, the Argonauts. Argonauts. Um, I think I, it's I, just for guys our age and older. I think the younger generation is not going to. I, you know, I, 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 I disagree. And, and maybe my son is an anomaly, but uh, when we were watching uh, army of darkness earlier today, when he sees the, the skeletons walking around, he's like, he, he paused the movie and he looked at me and he said, you didn't tell me there was going to be claymation in this movie. Because, <laughs> I mean, granted, I've put on all those old Ray Harryhausen movies for him. But, um, you know, I, I know some of my students are into, you know, that old stuff. You know, I've, I've got one student in, in particular uh, who I've spoken to in the past. He's just since graduated. But, you know, real, real film buff. And he was really into like the original 1933 King Kong, you know, the original mighty Joe young. And, you know, this, this is a guy who is, you know, in his early twenties now. So, um, I, 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 I think that, 
you know, there's there's something special about that where, you know, today a shot like that would so clearly be done with CG. And and I don't think it's as effective. I think we, we take CGI for for granted these days, you know, where it's like, oh, OK, well, that's you know, they, they just you know, did it with a computer, whereas there was and, and, and there is an artistry to it. Like there is good CGI. There's bad CGI. Um, you know, and when there's bad CGI, you notice. And when there, when there's good CGI, Wolverine you don't. Wolverine Origins, we're looking at you. Yes, uh, Justice <laughs> Justice League, we're looking at you. Um, you know, but then when when you have incredible CGI, like you know, no one's no one's looking at you know Infinity War and saying you know, oh man, look how great the CG is. You know, you're just enjoying the movie. You know, uh, but I think claymation is different. Where whether it's good or bad, you're looking at it like, oh man, look at that stop motion. I love it. You the, know, the, the tongue coming out of like the Necronom or Book of the Dead Necronomicon, like licking across <laughs> like the book. <laughs> the Necronomicon is definitely an element of the series that was improved later on because in the there were scenes in Evil Dead where it looks like uh, the bottom of a rotisserie chicken, like it just looks like <laughs> like a big beige piece of fat. That was that was one of the first moments when I started to realize I hadn't seen this movie. Like when he's holding, I was like, "That's that's, that's not, not it. Book. <laughs> that should look way better." Well, where's the face? What yeah, there the should head? be a face on this book. The um, the other thing I really enjoyed about the special effects here is the makeup, and it's such a simple and an effective thing. Um, you know, and and we talked about how each person's, uh, each deadite's makeup is is different they they look different uh their eyes are the same you know and and that's i think the thing that is truly disturbing about the deadite um you know the fact that the pupil's gone and it's just white I, that is really creepy you know we all had that friend in in middle school or in high school who could flip their eyes the you know and eyes. uh yeah do the undertaker eyes yeah i never could i always tried i always felt like i was gonna fall backwards and uh and crack my head open don't ask me why um but uh i i never could and i always thought it was creepy no matter who was doing it and and that's the effect you know and and it's that mixed with the the really effective makeup, I mean, it makes for really inexpensive but really good special effects. And those, I mean, those contact lenses. Um, uh, Debona, do you know the story of those contact lenses? No. With, okay, so the, the, it took about ten minutes to put them on, and they could only have them on for fifteen minutes at a time. So, uh, in between shots, it was like just fucking hell because you'd set up the shot you had 15 minutes and then you got to stop you got to take them out you got to give them time to let their eyes breathe i was gonna say i would guess with it covering your pupil too yeah because it was um bruce campbell described it as tupperware oh he says you were putting tupperware in your eye um so it was it, it was absolutely awful you couldn't see what you were doing so a, a lot of times people got hurt on set simply because the person who was lunging at them with a knife was actually lunging <laughs> at them with a knife. <laughs> people got stabbed. People got pushed. People got, you know, it was it, it really fucking crazy. Uh, the, the That cabin kind of did turn into, you know, the evil dead in there. 
the production problems. Are, I mean, that Dan, you said it earlier. That's the story within the story. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, All there's what they went through to make it happen. Uh, not only that, but the the, the cabin where they filmed. Um, there was there was a story that went with this cabin where there was thunderstorming one night and this girl went to climb into bed with her mom and her mom was dead in this cabin. They were living there. So she got freaked out and went to find her grandmother and her grandmother was also dead. They died on the same night. And so this girl was, you know, rightfully traumatized and ends up, you know, just kind of becoming a ward of the state and would still during thunderstorms would wander out in this area where she still lived and would kind of instinctually go back towards this cabin. And one day when they were filming, they had to stop production because somebody came up to them because they were looking for who was now an old woman. But the girl from that story, it had thunderstorm the night before and she was missing. So they went to that cabin to see if she had wandered back there. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, that, that would have done wonders for a poor little mentally unstable ward of the state <laughs> to wander into that production in yeah. particular. Yeah. Uh, yeah, little known fact uh, that woman became Henrietta in uh, part two. <laughs> they just said, I, I think we'll be able to use you. And they locked her into, uh, into the basement. And there you, she know was. Who, you know who's really in Henrietta? It was Ted uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's Ted Raimi, um, <laughs> who uh, who was in this movie quite a bit. Yeah, uh, he, uh, let, let's let's talk about the filmmaking. Let's talk about the production. <laughs> so I actually read up a lot because I was so confused upon watching it. You know, because I watched it three times this week, and there are tons and tons of continuity errors. Just like from shot to shot, you'll see that like. You know, Bruce Campbell has like a big giant black stain on the side of his face. Mm -hmm. And then a shot later, it's not there. And then it's back. And then like the, you know, the color and sort of like uh, bruise or like whatever, this big hot purple bruise he's got on the side of his face will appear and disappear, you know, from shot to shot. And the reason for that is primary production or, you know, principal shooting was a six week affair. That's when they had their five actors on set and they had like 15 crew. And that's when they're in Tennessee filming in Morristown at that uh, cabin. Right. And when they finished that, they had six weeks worth of money, you know, and all the actors and crew were there on a six week contract, but they didn't really finish the movie in that six weeks. So that's when another six weeks of movie came uh, movie shooting came uh, with Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi and, whoever they could get on hand. They shot in two other cabins. Um, some lawyer who was a, uh, like, uh, put in some money on it, lent them the cabin for them to go shoot in. And then Bruce Campbell's family had a cabin as well uh, up in Michigan. Both those other two were in Michigan where they're all from. Uh, so that's why, you know, they've made shots weeks apart from each other and the people who were there like uh, set directors and production designers who were supposed to be keeping track of continuity they're gone they took their notes and they went home you know so they're just having to work with their memory because in a lot of cases they haven't developed the film yet that they've made they haven't even looked at what they shot to go back and compare it to the shot that they're going to make and so that's why you'll see, uh, you said Ted Raimi's in a lot of that movie. 
he's what they called a ship, right? Uh, which is uh, uh, the uh, uh, Three Stooges guy. There, there was Mayor, uh, Larry, Curly, and Moe, but uh, Moe was replaced by, I mean, Curly was replaced by Shimp. Or Shimp replaced Curly. I don't know exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I think Curly replaced Shimp. Right. So they, Curly replaced Shimp because Shimp died, right? But they still had a lot of scenes to shoot, so they got a guy to dress like Shimp, who is shaped like Shimp, and so that's what they call their stand-ins, you know. And huge portions of the movies feature these stand-ins. And somebody when uh, you know um, Cheryl's banging on the door to get inside, that's not Cheryl. Ellen uh, Sandwise went home weeks ago. You know, she's not involved in production anymore. Just so much of that, uh, you know, are like when Cheryl or when Shelly dies. She's on a carpet. I'm like, there was no carpet in this movie. There's yeah. no carpet <laughs> in this cabin until, but you know, we need apparently got to roll out some carpet because Bruce Campbell's dad doesn't want to get blood all over the, all over the floorboards <laughs> of this cabin, you know. Um, and it's it's you know, at, at one time it kind of like pulls me out, and at the other time it makes me appreciate how you know, dedicated Sam Raimi was to getting this thing. Cause during the whole unraveling thing, that's all Sam and Bruce and Ted and maybe one or two other guys, you know, by themselves trying to create enough pickup footage to finish this movie with. And a lot of your really best shots, cause it, it kind of made me think you can really see the difference between the primary shooting schedule footage and the stuff they shot afterwards. Because the stuff they shot afterwards is a lot better, I think. Like the lighting is better, um, the sort of the 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 cinematography, some of the shots they set up all look a lot better because they had more time. They weren't worried about the constraints of working within um, the six weeks that they had allotted, and um, you really can tell the difference. Like there's a great pickup shot, go like a tracking shot. You're following Bruce through the basement. And it's a Hitchcock cut, you know, it's behind a pillar, you're yeah. watching him move through the pillars, and then it moves past the pillar, and then, boom, the, the camera motion never stops, or so you would think, because the cut is timed into the next room. Uh, there's a great shot of above the rafters. You're looking down on Ash. It's following Bruce Campbell as he walks. That shot took all day. It's a four-second shot. It's four seconds of footage that they spent all day figuring out how to do, because they had the time. And so when Sam had more, you know, it's not like almost the budget wasn't even the limiting factor. It was the time. And when Sam and Bruce had more time together, they made much more effective footage. Well, part of that was the fact that they had um, like real actors and actresses. Um, I, I can't remember her name now, but uh, the woman who played Linda uh, like Betty was... Baker. Uh, yeah, th that's it. Baker was a um, was a member of the Screen Actors Guild, and this was this was and she was very afraid that this was going to get her kicked out of the Screen Actors Guild because they weren't making this under the auspices of the guild. So uh, Teresa Tilly, who was credited as uh, Sarah York, who played Shelley, she got a six month suspension for being in this movie. Oh, maybe that's the one then. All right, so I that that sounds right. Um, yes, yeah, so there you could get suspended from the Screen Actors. Guild. Yeah, well, yeah. Because, because she thought nobody would see. It. 
You know, she gave her a false name and said, nobody's going to watch this fucking movie. And did, and did it against the Screen Actor Guild's uh, blessing. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's there's so so much of this, you know, is is like you said, it's it's just that that labor of love afterwards that that comes in. Um Daniel, is there anything particular about the filmmaking that like the technical aspect of this movie that stands out? There was some really there was some really great camera work uh that I liked a lot in the fact that and and it may be it may be partially because of everything that Seth just talked about, but um as the movie got more frantic towards the end, mm-hmm. there were I felt like the camera work and the shots got more frantic and that that played very well in my favorite my 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 favorite moment and and it's such a silly little thing, but I loved it so much when it gets down to it and it's just ash and I believe it was I believe it was right after um everything went down with Linda and he goes back into the house and uh, he sees that the the basement door's been ripped off and he goes down to get more shotgun shells. He comes up and he he, goes, he just goes, the front door. And he like runs and he's yeah. like trying to get the front door locked. And then you just see it. It gets in real tight on his face. He goes, the back door. And there's this really frantic, like herky-jerky shot of him running through the cabin to go lock the back door. There was something about that shot that just stood out to me as because because the way that it happened, I was now frantic for him in having to try to secure this house. And it was because of that, you know, like right up in his face. I was right there with him when he had the realization. And then and then he shoots down the hallway and it felt like I was running down the hallway. And it was and it wasn't just this smooth gliding shot because I was I was running. I was terrified for my life with him. So there were some things like that at the very end as the sun comes up, the camera's not steady like at all. Mm-hmm. It it's just shake like real gently and it gives this effect of panting with him as as you as the sun comes up and you realize that that you've survived and there yeah. so there were some things there there were some some things like that that they came down to camera work that for if, if they were done on purpose if they if they was just kind of the way that it happened whatever the reasoning may be those made the movie for me. I loved those little things. Uh, you know, I love that when he, uh, you know, when he goes down in the, in the basement and now it's the, the blood dripping and everything like that, those, those little choices, like they set that up. We knew that stuff would be dripping off those pipes because of the earlier shot. And now it's the blood dripping off of them. Uh, the, the directorial decisions, like we talked about with the, the eyes open, eyes shut game, stuff like that, that, that made it funny. Some things like that, that that are that were, you know, that that one's more writing than, than, you know, just like the technical camera work. But some of the things like that that went into the movie, I, I think, are that 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 stuff was just so well done. The effort that went into the scene of the close ups of him chaining Linda to the table and mm-hmm. and the reveal of the chainsaw and all that just to have him bail on doing it that you that was so cool like uh, the, the, because they, they gave us all these close-ups and they showed us how determined he was to chain her down because he was going to cut her head off or dismember her with a chainsaw or whatever and then to just have him bail on it like it, it was because of the way that scene was shot i was so ready for it and then when he did i was like 
yeah, that's probably, you know, I get it. I get that move, but I also mm-hmm. understand how determined you were a second ago. We've all had that moment where right up until you're going to do something, you're, you're, you're so convinced that you're about to, and then at the last second you bail. Super interesting coincidence that, uh, that section of the movie, the shed scene with the chainsaw, edited by Ethan Cohen of the Cohen Brothers, because also, he's a Detroit guy and he worked yeah. in the um, the film chopping house, the edit the editing booth basically <laughs> that they rented time at. And he said, "Yeah, I could help you out with that scene," and he did that. And it does have Very sort cool. of more snappier sort of editing than yeah. other segments of the film. Yeah. Uh, for me, the the thing that has always stood out is as far as like a, like a technical aspect is, is the camera work um, starting with that initial shot that starts over the lake uh, uh, or the pond or whatever it is. And then, you know, moves over, uh, you know, some, some foliage, you know, some down trees and then starts tracking the car. It's, it's such a, a simple thing. Like we look back on it now and it's like, okay, well you can do that with steady cam, but it's not steady cam. It's uh, I mean, w- when you start reading up on it, it's, it's a camera mounted to a stick <laughs> and two guys pulling the <laughs> stick, you know, it's, it's really simple stuff like that. That's, that's how they got that, um, that sort of, you know, Kandarian spirit, you know, the evil dead, whatever that evil dead thing is coming through and, and, and tracking these people. Um, you know, it, and it's, it's an unsettling shot. It's an effective shot. And, and it, to me, it shows, um, like incredible knowledge of your craft. Uh, we've seen that shot ripped off in so many movies since then. Like, yeah, Bram yeah, Stoker's and- Dracula has mm-hmm. a demon cam in it. You know, so many movies. Have taken yeah. That. And I, I think the the best version of it is the last one, the one where we see it start out in the woods and you think that the day is over, right? Or the night's over and, and, and everything's okay now. And yet it like, no, the fuck it's not right. Because here, here comes this, uh, this demon and, and it's, it's tracking through all the woods. It busts open the door of the, uh, of the cabin. Here's Ash. Right. And then, and then you get Ash just running for his fucking life. Right. That shot is so incredible. And it's a really long shot. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a really long shot. And it was all one camera mounted to the front of a bicycle that's how they did that shot yeah and it's it's really really simple stuff like this where it's it's almost like uh like daniel you talked about how like trying to use everything that you can in your space because it's what you have right uh that limiting effect is what kind of like pushes you to innovate right a necessity is the mother of invention sort of thing where like okay we don't have the money to get steady cam we don't have the money to uh, do most of what it is that we want to do so how are we going to do these things mount a fucking camera to the to the front of a bike you know that sort of thing um that's always been my favorite uh as filmmaking aspect of this movie and i i think that um though i don't think Raimi has ever said so i think a lot of this 
um, there's there's an influence of Toby Hooper in there. A lot of the camera work is is I think uh, similar, although not identical, but similar. Definitely inspired by Toby Hooper. Uh, there's some some like tracking shots and some uh, some camera work in there where where Hooper's following you know some of his actors in Texas Chainsaw Massacre that you know it's like oh wow i i kind of see where this is coming from and then Ramy just said uh hey camera here's some crack cocaine let's do what hooper <laughs> did and have a good time right so um i um i i think that for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, what was accomplished is nothing short of a triumph i mean it's uh it's a- absolutely incredible yeah which which leaves us which leaves us at at what what we would rate the evil dead so let's let's go seth you first out of a possible five fleshbound books of the dead how many fleshbound books of the dead do you give this uh you know it's 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 three on the screen but it's five in my heart all right (laughs) I, so I think that's the fair. Let's give it a four. We'll give it a four. We'll give it a four. And okay. Before I'm out of screen time here, I want to go over my favorite line from the whole movie, which is Scotty when they hear a bump from the basement, and Cheryl suggests it's an animal. An animal. An animal. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Jesus Christ. Twenty <laughs> seconds later, it's probably an animal. <laughs> Ah, oh, Scotty. That's all I got. That's really what Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness were missing. More Scotty. I'm into the alternate <laughs> Scotty timeline. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, so okay. so when I when I when I start to think about rating this movie, I'm I'm hitting that same that that same thing like uh like like Seth's talking about. Like it's it's hard for me to to give it, you know, like uh um, like the like 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 a five, right? Because there there are some moments like like when it starts, some of the dialogue is is so is is so weird, and and like the interactions are, aren't there, and and some of the scoring, I feel like the scoring gets better as the movie goes on, which you know it may have been intentional. So I, I'm I'm gonna land right there too. I'm gonna land at four. Uh, I it was it was so much fun to watch. Uh, I did. I I loved it. I really really did. But there there are a couple of things that that occasionally kind of took me out of the movie um, that that didn't leave me in the same headspace where I was you know where I was just on the edge of my seat the whole time. So uh, I I'm gonna go four just because it could use some polish. And while I do understand that being unpolished is part of the beauty of the film. There, there are there are definitely some things that, that could have used a touch. Um, so before I give my rating, um, I'll also give my favorite line of the movie, and it's one that every time I hear it, I laugh more and more. It's getting to the point where I have to pause the movie to uh, to to make sure I enjoy all of it, and it's uh, just after Scott suggests that they bury Shelley. And Ash says, we can't bury Shelly. <laughs> Shelly's a friend of ours. <laughs> it's so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's it's so way out of left field. It's like she just fucking tried to eat you, and um, <laughs> and you you're you're thinking you can't bury Shelly. Um, it's uh, it's such it's such a great line, uh, and and it really shows what what a great uh, knack for humor uh, Raimi has, and and I really think showcases the the career that Campbell would have, where like he's he's got this like inimitable style where he can just like throw something out there and he says it with a straight face, but you're in fucking stitches. Um, so, uh, so with that out of the way, um, man, it's, uh, it's, it's five for me. It's five stars and, and I don't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> is, 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 is this on paper a five-star movie? Uh, no, it isn't. Uh, I think that, like you guys said, there's um, it is rough around the edges, um, but it's rough around the edges. I think in the same way that Appetite for Destruction is rough around the edges. Uh, Use Your Illusion is obviously a much more polished album, and yet when I reach for a Guns N' Roses album, I'm not going for Use Your Illusion. I'm going for Appetite for Destruction, um, and and I, I I think that this this movie is is kind of like that where it's uh it's it's definitely rough around the edges it's 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 got faults and all those things i think help make it the movie that it is and um and with without it we don't get the brilliance of evil dead 2 we don't get the brilliance of army of darkness um i personally loved every single season of ash versus the evil dead um I've collected, I think, every uh, Evil Dead action figure that NECA has put out. Like uh, this, this is one of those franchises that um, really helped shape my love of horror. And uh, and it does go back to this because this is the first one that I saw. Um, you know, if if it had turned me off in any way, I don't think I would have kept going. So uh, so for me, it, it's 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 got to be five. Um, you know, e even even from a technical aspect, I think that there's there's stuff in here that, you know, I, I give a standing ovation to the camera work, um, uh, you know, the the dedication that these actors had, the special effects. It's, um, you know, even where where there are flaws there, there's there's beauty in it. It's like a diamond. Right. You know, the the diamond that has no flaws is not a real diamond. You know, the Wabi Sabi so, of Evil Dead. There you go. There you go. Wabi Sabi. I love it. So, uh, so if we're if, if we're taking averages here, I guess I guess we'd go like four point three stars. Uh, so let's just call it four and a half, four and a half stars. Sure. Yeah, four and a half stars total. So there you go. Uh, happy anniversary, happy birthday, Evil Dead, uh, and thank you, Sam Raimi, uh, for uh, and Bruce Campbell and, and company for for delivering. Uh, a movie that that we we've, we've loved for for forty years. Uh, I don't think any of us here have loved it for forty years. Um, I don't think any of us here are that old. Yeah, um, but uh, a, a movie that we've loved for uh, all our lives. Uh, a franchise that we've loved for uh, for all our lives. And uh, and so so with that, 
we we bid you adieu. But before we do, we we'd like to uh, to to ask you to please please listen to all our other Geek Bro Network podcasts. Uh, Debona, you want you want to rattle these guys off? You're always better at it than I am. So uh, you can head to geekbro.net where you can find all of our podcasts. We've got uh, Geek More, uh, which we do. We uh, we're we're setting up. Uh, we're getting into the fall, and everybody's schedules are are kind of hectic. But uh, we we have Mount Geek More. We've got Kickflits, where a group of guys, a group of guys, and yes, and Missy um, review uh, action or martial arts films. Excuse me, not just action films, martial arts folks. We've got a dose of Ellie comedy fitness. Um, <laughs> What, what what else? I mean, there's goodness. Um, I now now all of a sudden I'm blanking. You you said I was going to be good at it. Now I've blanked on a bunch of. Did, them. did you say what's up, bro? And what's up, bro? There we go. That's the one that okay. I was blanking on the most. Of course, what's up, bro? The one seasons. where I kept, where it kind of all started. Seasons. They're doing Superstore now. Uh, and so you can, like I said, you can head to geekbro.net. You can check out not only those, but ones that we've done in the past. Seth, we want to thank you for coming on. Anything you need to tell the people to get out and listen to? Anything you got going on? Uh, no, I appreciate it, man. It was a great time. Uh, it, it was groovy. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, and um, I, they're not on our network, but um, on last on this week's Geek More, we had uh, we had on a guy who has a, a podcast called The Floor's Dungeon, where they do uh, they do uh, gaming, and uh, Alex Stein was his name, and uh, mm. he is the the dungeon master over on the floor is dungeon and uh, was great on geek more the other night. So I want to give him a shout out to excellent. Well, on behalf of everyone here on shiver hail to the King, baby and fright <laughs> you very much. <laughs>